0: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sports with Friends. This is episode 372. I want to thank you for the strong feedback from episode 371. Uh, Dave Cohen, who knew Dave Cohen would be such a hit? Uh, I think a lot of Yankee fans dug it. A lot of Qs people did it. He worked in Washington, Atlanta, so we we hit a lot of uh, big cities. There is a lot going on in sports, so these next few weeks, the podcast is going to be a lot of fun. It is week six in the NFL. We're going to get the matchups and the odds from the head odds maker at BavadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. We are also welcoming a new sponsor to the show. Uncommon Goods makes its a triumphant return. We're also going to play prize picks later on as well. Uh, as you know in the podcast uh, that we've done a ton of Seattle-based podcasts. Uh, we've done uh, broadcasters we've done writers we did the tribute to john clayton recently um you know and, and i can always consider seattle one of my my other homes i lived there in the late 90s and loved every second of it um i remember having this gentleman on uh my radio show i would fill in on kjr from time to time and there was a time when there was a new downtown arena coming to seattle And there was this thought that that was going to be this brand new arena and basketball was going to come back. And I remember uh, our guest today was was a guy who was in the centerpiece of covering that, and uh, he was was the only guy in Seattle that wasn't going bananas. Everybody was so excited, and he was like, hold on, hold on. A lot has to happen first. You know, if you've been following along, last year there was the debut of the Seattle Kraken, and the Kraken are an NHL team – I'm a huge NHL fan. And our guest today has been at the centerpiece of the coverage of not only the ability to get the team, but also uh, their first season. He has a brand new book out. I cannot believe he's got a book out. This is so cool. It's called Rising from the Deep The Seattle Kraken, A Tenacious Push for Expansion and the Emerald City's Sports Revival. Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times is with us here on Sports with Friends. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the podcast.
1: No, thank you for having me. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. It is indeed.
0: You know, for for years when you were at the Seattle Times, you didn't have like a beat. You were always investigative. You were always, you would work on feature pieces. And I, like I said, I've been a a fan of yours from a distance uh, for a long time, What was it about the Kraken that you got so connected where I would say now 85% of the stuff I see from you is all Kraken-centric?
1: Well, I I had covered Major League Baseball for 16 years in Toronto and and then in Seattle covering the Mariners. So I did that beat. And, you know, by 2013, it was kind of, uh, all right, this is fun. What's next in your life? And so you move on to that. And I I did a sports investigative job where – Part of the job was involving um, following the arena situation and and you know keeping up to date. And I knew it was going to be a long term thing; it was going to take years and years. So I didn't want that to be the focus of the job, but it, it sort of morphed into the focus of that. And uh, you know, to, to make a lot, we can get into it in greater detail if you want. But I, I guess the uh, to make a long story short, I grew up in Montreal, which is. Kind of a bit of a hockey mecca and uh, covered covered some hockey. I've
0: heard of the place. You
1: might might have heard, huh? Covered some hockey there um, in the uh, midget AAA ranks, junior, a little bit of college uh, way back when. We're talking like 30 years ago. Had a chance, had a chance, very brief window open to cover the Montreal Canadiens for the Montreal Gazette. That was going to happen uh, in the mid 90s. Uh, They they had an idea they were going to make me the beat writer and make Red Fisher, who is the longtime beat writer there they were going to move him into a columnist position so that he wouldn't have to travel and and be on the beat seven days a week he was already in his 60s at that point sure, and sure. so um yeah you know i had moved into sports at that point after covering news for seven years and uh was getting ready to do it there was sort of a plan to do it and then they they had a change in sports editors and they decided to go in another direction and um and keep red on the beat which, which he did he stayed on the beat for a couple more years and then they moved him into the exactly what they said they were going to do move him into uh uh column writing so i always say i came very very close this was back at around 1996 very very close to uh to covering the canadians and so in this in this case when the kraken became the, the sports team in seattle that was going to move into the arena um uh, you know, right away, I, I put up my, my hand and I said, well, hey, it just makes sense to follow this team once they actually get on the ice, since I followed the creation of the team and the creation of the arena going back now almost 10 years. Uh, and, and I like to tell everybody this job was about a quarter century in the making because, you know, it, it, it just I finally got my NHL writing job. It just didn't take that long. And I'll tell you what, I thank God today that I did not have to follow Red Fisher's shoes into being the B-Rider covering the Munchies. Oh, if updated. social
0: media existed back then, you'd have been crushed.
1: I would have been fried. Yeah. And then Red and I got along actually quite well. You didn't always get along with everybody, but uh, he was very, very nice to me in my career. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, but I've got some good Red Fisher stories that I could tell and as do a lot of people that have worked with him. And, uh, but he was, he was nothing but great with me. And uh, I, I'm just, again, very, very thankful that I did not have to follow in his shoes um, in his footsteps and, I left for Toronto. I would say about nine months later, and and took over the Blue Jays beat for the Toronto Star, and so everything worked out. Stayed in sports, and uh, it's been that way ever since.
0: I want to uh, you know focus a lot on how the team came to be and and what it means for the city, but uh, let let's work backwards. How were they perceived this year? How are they? Uh, how was the reception? Um, The team wasn't very good, but that didn't matter. It it did, you know, that outside of them uh, injuring my guy, Jack Hughes, uh, I I didn't really have a a vibe for the franchise. Uh, But what was the perception? How, how how did it go? Uh, In in your estimation, how was year one?
1: I'll be honest, year one for me personally was disappointing. uh, Just because I knew how hard they had worked to get the team there. I knew Um, what, what, you know, you know, a lot of the odds that they had to overcome to actually get an arena done and to get a team put in there in the first place. And for me, it was almost like they, they made it to the finish line. And I think there was a a general sense of exhaustion within the organization, uh, when it came time to actually start last season and put a team on the ice, it's almost like, I don't want to say they forgot about the on ice product because that, that wouldn't be fair, but, but I do think that the the organization maybe needed a, a little bit of time to catch its breath and, and then get onto the stage, the very difficult stage of lo- launching a franchise. And, and to be fair, I mean, they had to launch it during COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, with all the restrictions inside the arena, with all the players not being able to get to know each other really, or have a whole lot of time to get workouts in because games were being canceled left and right. And so it, it, uh, it really, I think, threw a lot of what they were doing, not to mention the arena wasn't ready on time. And a lot of the stuff that was going on inside the arena couldn't be shipped there on time because of all the pandemic shipping delays so really as a launch point it it really didn't launch the way I I call it a practice season and I think this season is going to be what you you would call the first real season of the franchise and it's important because you know while a lot of fans from a distance thought you know it's just another expansion team they all struggled organizationally they never expected to be the third worst team in the NHL they thought they were going to be a lot more competitive than they were and they sold a lot of season tickets on that premise to people that had to buy in for three year minimums. So, you know, a lot of that building that you see every night, uh, the people that are inside that building, that's gonna come up for renewal in two seasons. And they know they're gonna have to start winning a few games before they start asking people for more money. So so it is kind of important that they get their on-ice act together a little bit more this year than they did last year.
0: You know, my perspective on this is, is a little jaded. Um, And I'll tell you two examples. Uh, Number one, when I worked at KJR, um, I was always a big hockey fan. If, if you think about it, it was in the late nineties and the New Jersey devils, my team were in the midst of winning a Stanley cup. I remember, uh, and I've told this story on the podcast, uh, softy Dave Mahler uh, had me come over to his house the night the devils won the Stanley cup, because you shouldn't watch your team win a championship by yourself. And I didn't know anybody that was a hockey fan. But I remember distinctly being told on the radio, uh, don't talk about hockey. I wanted to do hockey segments, not devil segments, but but hockey segments. And I was told, no, this is not a hockey town. The other conversation I had, and I remember sitting down at Key Arena with the then owner of the Seattle Supersonics, Barry Accurately, and we were not on the air, but we were talking and he literally looked me in the eye and he said, I purposely built Key Arena too small So that hockey couldn't get there because I didn't want to compete for the entertainment dollar. And so I had a very negative perception and I thought Seattle didn't want hockey. So now you take all the politics of the supersonics and we can get into that. I've done dozens of episodes about what went down there. What was hockey just a, a way to get an arena because what they ultimately want is they're not just a basketball team. They want their basketball team back. They want the Seattle Supersonics back. You, you call them anything else, no one's going to care. And just the argument of hockey is really the placeholder. Because of everything that I had learned all through the years. This isn't like, I don't have a bias towards Seattle. And I certainly don't have a bias toward hockey. But I was ingrained to think hockey would not be welcome there.
1: I think there's some truth in what you just said. In fact, a good part of my book is all about that. It's, it's not, no, a I
0: cannot board. wait to read this book. Per
1: se, a lot of it's about the Sonics leaving. It's about all that dynamic in play and really what, you know, you're right. And to an extent, I mean, hockey was a, a means to an end. The end was getting the arena. So you could get basketball back. And the hockey team was one of the ways they were going to get that done. And so that that part worked. There is a hockey history in Seattle, as we know. There's about a 40 year, 45 year junior history, junior hockey history. But no, I mean, you know, come come hockey playoff time, NHL playoff time, you can't find it on the TV set. You couldn't find it anyway on the TV sets of most of the bars. Right before streaming
0: services, yeah, now, You know, now now it's easy to find. Was a little
1: different, yeah, yeah. but I mean. It, it, it was never a really a hockey town, per se. Maybe back in the day of Guy Fielder. Uh, I have a chapter of him in my book uh, and the Seattle Totems. Yeah, but that was a long time ago.
0: More of Sports with Friends in just a moment as we continue that great Seattle Kraken talk with Jeff Baker. It is also week six in the National Football League. Let's get the latest on those matchups and the latest odds on those matchups with the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs against Josh Allen and those Buffalo Bills. That's a marquee matchup right there.
2: Yeah, that's that, That's easily the game of the weekend, maybe the game of the year with uh, how fun those two teams are, you know, coming off an incredible uh, divisional game. You know, the Bills march down the field. Surely, surely they've won because there's only 20 seconds left for Patrick Mahomes to do Patrick Mahomes things. You know, the, the Chiefs had an incredible Monday Night Football game. The Bills are uh, looked amazing this year. Their one blip was when they went down to play Miami in a Scorch a game where cramping and other issues led to them playing a little bit sloppy. They're not going to be running into that kind of weather in Kansas City on Sunday afternoon. No surprise that it is the highest over-under of the week sitting at 54. And uh, the Buffalo Bills ever so slight two and a half point road favorites at Bavada in this one set. Uh, the action across the board is split pretty 50 50. We kind of expect that to be the case all the way through. A lot of sharp end recreational players will be making their case throughout the week, and uh, they generally will, I think, see that split all the way up till Sunday.
0: Two weeks in a row, the New York Giants making this podcast. Uh, the New- Giants coming off that impressive London victory over the Green Bay Packers hosts the Baltimore Ravens at MetLife Stadium.
2: But watching them play against the Packers, uh, first of all, I'm surprised with uh, how decent they played uh, defensively. But offensively, they really went to the bag of tricks in this game. You know, looking at the odds in this one, set, the Giants are currently five-point home underdogs to the Ravens. If we were lining this game at the beginning of the season, the Ravens would easily be a touchdown or more favorite on the road in this spot. Uh, what we are seeing, though, is that uh, some players are probably taking this as an opportunity to buy a little bit low on the Ravens at only five points as they are currently getting about 75% of all bets on that spread at Bovada over under currently sitting at 45 right now that's their uh split pretty 50 50. another
0: great matchup the sunday night game the dallas cowboys and the philadelphia eagles two questions there first of all the eagles haven't lost a game and the second one are the cowboys for real without dak prescott can they hang with the eagles this is a battle for the top spot
2: in the nfc east Yeah, super compelling game, uh, Seth. Uh, We we have the limits, uh, currently slightly, ever so slightly restricted uh, right now, just because of, you know, DAC has kind of suggested that maybe, I don't know, could I, uh, we we currently don't expect him to be available in this one, but we are monitoring this one very closely. So, uh, you know, when we release this podcast, I mean, the lines may be out of date, but as it currently stands with the knowledge that we have uh, uh, the Eagles are four and a half point home favourites in this one. Uh, what the Cowboys have been able to do with uh, Dak injured, Cooper rush under centre, listen uh, they're they're not letting Cooper cook, which is probably for the best. I think he only had 12-13 pass attempts uh, last Sunday, but what they are getting out of that running game of Pollard and Ezekiel uh, Elliott and uh, but really what the defence has done with the Cowboys this year has been absolutely stunning. Uh, it is uh, difficult for me to give any credit to Mike McCarthy whatsoever. As uh, a bit of a Packers fan here, I, I know maybe his week-to-week preparations, good. his in-game stuff generally isn't great, but uh, what they've been able to do when with Zeke out, when many people thought their season was toast, uh, the fact that he's been able to hold the line as well as he is, has been just remarkable. But What's really the more interesting uh, story, I think, in this one, Seth, has been how good Jalen Hurts and this Eagles team has been. You know, everyone thought that they just got lucky when uh, Dak got injured. And, and sure, of course, their NFC East uh, odds improved dramatically when that occurred. But what Jalen Hurts has done, both passing and running the ball, he looks so comfortable in that offense. The Eagles look really, really good week in, week out. They're currently the NFC favorites right now in the, in the NFC, which is you know not what we had to start the year at all. But they're past the bucks they're past the rams they're past everyone else they look really good in this one so the fact that they're only four and a half point home favorites at bovada really speaks to yeah they're, they're great but this cowboys team has been no slouch at i'm looking forward to this one i'm looking forward to what kellen moore can pull out of his bag of tricks what that cowboy's defense can do and ultimately what's going to happen now
0: our thanks to patrick morrow the head odds maker at bovada you can go to their website and see all the matchups not just in the nfl college football the baseball playoffs everything now back to our conversation on the Seattle Kraken with the Seattle Times Jeff Baker
1: that's part of the problem and they almost got an NHL team in the early 90s uh, but they they didn't do it and you know Ackerley gets some of the blame for that from from some of the partners that he was going to bring to try to get an NHL team there there was talk how he left uh, the back room uh, when he was about to go in and meet with the NHL Board of Governors. He left through a back door and uh, left his partners out in the cold. And so, uh, yeah, certainly you're right to that extent. And and that's part of what I was speaking about. You know, it's not guaranteed that this is going to be a slam dunk NHL market. It never has been. And, you know, that's part of the issue with what happened last season with the Kraken finishing third worst overall. There are a lot of empty seats in the building, even though they were sold out every game. You know, not everybody was going there and using their tickets. And so they really have to change that. And I think they have put in a lot of work um, doing that, trying to launch this franchise properly this time, which they weren't able to do necessarily a year ago. And I think you're going to see this, this organization a lot more, um, I, I would hope so for their sake, acting a lot more um, like like a team, the team that it should have been, let's say 12 months ago, a year ago, without the, the whole COVID Uh, The pandemic things really sidetracking everything this year, but I mean, yeah, there's this is a basketball town, and um, but that said, you know, Seattle used to be a baseball town too. I I can remember the last time the Mariners made the playoffs prior to this year. um, You know, they 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 pretty much owned Seattle. I was there covering uh, their 2000 and their 2001 playoff series for the Toronto Mm -hmm. Star, and that that was the team. It wasn't the Seahawks, but then it became a Seahawks town, and it's been a Seahawks town. Now the Seahawks are on the decline. A bit, And the Mariners are on the rise again. So it's not a town that's owned by any one team, any one sport. But certainly, yeah, NBA is more popular than NHL, even though the NBA is not here anymore. Um, and, and there is a need for the Kraken to sort of firm themselves up and, and establish a toehold in this sports market uh, before a Sonics team comes back, whenever that's going to be. It is going to happen. Um, it might take a few more years, but uh, they, they crack Kraken have to be ready to hold their own at that point because of what you mentioned. You know, there's a reason accurately didn't want the competition. And, you know, there are people that think there, there's not enough room for, for five major sports in this city, five or six, whatever we're at now. Well, OK,
0: but you, but you referenced the sixth and, and, and there's something else that I want to enter into this conversation. Yeah. And that is the time after the Sonics left. Seattle was hurting. And I thought there was a subconscious uh, stigma on the city because, you know, if you look at Atlanta and you look at Phoenix, you look at Miami, there is a perception of bad sports towns. And I remember when the Seahawks started to make their initial run and they had just gotten their new stadium. I've never been in that new stadium. I was in the kingdom, you know, five dozen times, but I never was in that new stadium. They created this this Fakakta 12th man. And it wasn't just that they would be loud. They had to make uh press releases that said that they were the loudest by decibels, they were the loudest stadium in the league. And you know, the, the Huskies were the the biggest college football program, and then it was the Sounders, and the Sounders came and it was they were setting attendance records, and that they weren't always good, and you so so what I thought. And again, this is now from an outsider's perspective, was that this was subconsciously the city of Seattle telling the uh, the rest of the country, hey, we're not a crappy sports town. And even though th- this crime happened to us and we lost our basketball team, we're a good sports town. Do you subscribe to that theory, first of all? And secondly, do you think that plays into how the Kraken came about?
1: Yeah, I think there is some truth to that. Definitely. Um, There is a bit of a second city feel at times to Seattle. I got here in 2006, which was two years before the Sonics left. Um, And I came from Toronto, which, you know, Toronto in Canada was always a bit of a second city to Montreal for years. It ended up surpassing it because of politics and economics in, in, in the 1970s. But there was still, when I got to Toronto in the 90s, there was still a bit of a second city feel, a bit of a Hey, we have to prove to everybody how we're world-class. We have to prove to everybody how good we are. We have to prove this, prove that, you know, when you're good, you don't have to prove anything. You know, New York doesn't go out, New York city doesn't go out of its way to tell people, Hey, we're world-class. You know, you just assume it, you you assume that you're good. You don't necessarily have that here in Seattle. There is sort of a bit of an underdog feel, uh, a bit of a a second city kind of feel that way. And I I think losing their team probably exacerbated some of that. Um, And, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, there have been sporting events that I've been to. And every time, you know, we, we have, we just recently had an NBA uh, exhibition game played at, at climate pledge arena. And there was still this whole, you know, Hey, we're auditioning for an NBA team. We have to show the NBA, how good we are. Now we have to show them our new arena, show them this. I mean, you know, the NBA saw Seattle for quite a while. They should have a pretty good idea. I know Adam Silver has a pretty good idea. what Seattle's like as a sports town. He's told me as much,
0: This portion of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Uncommon Goods. One of the hardest things that I have found, especially in my adult life, is shopping for my mom, my teenager, my in-laws, even friends. I don't know what to get as gifts. I hate bringing things and I hate doing gift cards. Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free. So check out their selection of thousands of items today. Here's a couple that I found and got for my relatives. The MLB Park Map Glasses. Each set of two whiskey glasses features a map of an iconic MLB stadium in the team's two main colors. I got one for a friend in Seattle, and I got one who's a Nationals fan. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S., They have the most meaningful out of the ordinary gifts anywhere. No matter what your family or friends are into. Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift from art and jewelry to kitchen home and bar Uncommon Goods has something for everybody. And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses with every purchase that you make at Uncommon Goods. They give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than two and a half million dollars to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com/swf for Sports with Friends. That's uncommongoods.com/swf for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. Now back to the show. More of sports with friends in just a moment, but in this NFL season, we are playing Prize Picks. It's a new daily fantasy game. All you do is you pick two to five players, and if they will go score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. You're not competing against anybody else. It's just you versus the projections you make. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, including NFL, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, tennis, NASCAR, eSports, WNBA, much, much more. You can do this so fast. I did it on the web. You can also do it on your phone. 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. There are safe and fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. For this week, I selected three NFL prize picks, and I want to explain how if I hit them all... I can do that and win more. But if I hit two out of three, I can also win. I took Debo Samuel, the uh, San Francisco wide receiver. The Niners take on the Atlanta Falcons. His projected receiving yards is 55 and a half. I took more. Zach Wilson, the quarterback for the New York Jets. They're going up against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. His projected passing yards is 210. I went with less. And then the greatest, Tom Brady. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. His projected passing yards is 280 and a half, and I took more. If I do the flex play, you win one and a quarter times if you get two correct and two and a quarter times if you get three. But if you do the power play, you have to hit three out of three. If you bet $20, that would pay $100. Download the PrizePix app or go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code FRIENDS. Remember, this is Sports with Friends? If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Just enter the promo code FRIENDS at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. We are playing Prize Picks on Sports with Friends this football season. Now back to the show. There's an episode of the podcast, episode 231, the complicated legacy of David Stern. Uh, we had, uh, I think it was Sam Amick uh, explained all the great things that Stern had accomplished in the NBA. And then uh, like the last 20 minutes of the podcast. I put Bob Stelton on and I just said, so how does David Stern get per- per- perceived you know, in in Seattle, and, you know, his name is Mud, and they go into grand detail. Adam Silver is quite aware of all of that. And to me, it must be imperative for him to put, you know, to steal from Quantum Leap. It's it's put right what once went wrong. There was a great crime that took place in taking that team, and he can only do one thing. And in the saga of relocation, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but in the saga of relocation, most relocations have been rectified. You know, Cleveland lost the, the Browns, but they got another Browns. You know, Minneapolis lost the Lakers, but they got the, the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baltimore lost the Colts, but they got the Ravens. The two most egregious relocations that have never been rectified are the Quebec Nordiques and the Seattle Supersonics. And to me, Adam Silver knows that, that he can solidify his legacy forever by just putting a team
1: there. Yeah, you could throw the Montreal Expos in there as well. They haven't been rectified yet either. And they happened before the Sonics. They happened in 2000. But, but
0: when the Expos left, yeah. were they mourned?
1: Oh, yeah, no, they're mourned. They, they still are. What, what happened there was they, they were threatened with relocation for so long that the fans just eventually got fed up and they said, all right, we'll do it already. We're not going to go pack your stadium if you're going to keep threatening to move us out of the city uh, every year since 1996.
0: And, 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 and in an early episode of the podcast, uh, episode one forty nine, uh, f- this for the audience, uh, Elias uh, Makos, the former Expos PR guy who's now a TV host up there, uh, promised on the podcast that Montreal was getting a baseball team back. And I have that episode in perpetuity, and I've I backed it up on a number of different hard drives because he'll never be right. But when that ne- when that happens, uh, he he will be the one that gets to say he told us so.
1: And Mitch Garber, uh, one of the guys who's behind that move to get a new a new stadium and a new team in Montreal, uh, working with uh, Stephen Bronfman, uh, he's a he's a he's a minority owner of the Seattle Kraken. So all things come around; it all
0: comes full circle.
1: It all comes full circle. But to get back uh, to your question, yeah, I mean definitely that's at the I wouldn't say top of the priority list of the NBA to rectify, it, but certainly rectifying it, uh, the Seattle question uh, is is definitely. Um, something that I think Adam Silver wants to do. Uh, I, th- I think it had a lot to do with why they didn't um, relocate the Sacramento Kings here
0: yeah.
1: um, back in 2013, because, you know, they were just coming off five years earlier, a, a relocation that really didn't go over well PR wise, um, not only in Seattle around the country, and they didn't want to rectify a wrong by by committing a second wrong sure. uh, in, in that in that sense. So There's that. Um, You know, I would just say in the history of sports relocations, if you look at them generally, and this is off the top of my head, they would probably be with the exception, let's say, of the Cleveland Browns. Um, Generally, it takes about 15 to 20 years to rectify Mm. an issue. You look at Los Angeles losing the Rams and then getting the Rams back. So generally when a team does get another franchise back through relocation to rectify a previous relocation, it's because they've gone out and they've I want to say, yeah, I'll say it. They've extorted the, the public governments to give them public funds sure, to build sure. those stadiums. Now, that didn't happen here in Seattle. And that's one reason why it wasn't happening. Uh, they weren't getting necessarily the money that they wanted to get to bring a team back here. And in the end, they ended up building an all-private arena through a pro- partnership with the city. But the Oakview group came in and spent $1.2 billion of their own money and their partner's mm-hmm. money to build the arena here so it's a completely privately financed arena and that's a little bit different from what was being proposed before which always involves some kind of bond funding that the public was going to have to participate in and there's very little appetite for that here in Seattle right now because of our history with stadiums Uh, you know they built uh, T-Mobile Park which used to be Safeco Field they built that uh, with with a huge amount of public subsidies they had to
0: threaten to relocate that team.
1: They did all the time. The same and thing with the Seahawks. The Seahawks did the same thing, threatened to relocate to uh, Anaheim right after the Rams left. And mm-hmm. and so um, that was going on, and they ended up getting their public money. And both times they had votes. One time the Mariners lost their vote, their public vote, but yep. and they actually made it to the uh, – the Edgar Martinez hit his double. They made it to the American League Championship Series, uh, beat the Yankees in the Division Series, and that was enough to get another branch of government to – Kind of, kind of do an end run around what the public wish was in the referendum. And so they, they were able to get f- uh, public financing for the Mariner Stadium. The Seahawks barely won their vote. They only won it by uh, a couple of percentage points, maybe even one. Per- it, it wasn't very high. And so there was no appetite. By the time they, the Sonics came around looking for a handout to build either a new um, arena to replace Key Arena or to renovate uh, Key Arena with, I think it was $300 million dollars, uh, there was just no public appetite for that, and and that's that's a huge part of what happened. So, in, in in a way, you know, there's a reason these things don't get rectified right away. You have to solve the arena uh, dilemma, and then you have to find the right ownership. I don't think they're going to have a problem with ownership here. From everything I'm told, they're going to they're going to have deep-pocketed owners. You,
0: you're talking basketball, or no? I'm you, basketball, okay, right Okay, you're now, staying basketball. with basketball, not the crack. Yeah,
1: yeah, not the cracking. But I mean, it's all one and the same, right? Because the people that like the arena is owned by the city right now, but it's managed by the Oakview group and its partners. And one of those partners is a big one is is the majority owner of the Kraken, David Bonderman, who's a, you know, billionaire investment banker. And he um, he's a part owner of the uh, minority owner of the Boston Celtics. So he's going to want a piece in whatever comes in here, but the the majority ownership is going to be somebody with with deep pockets. We've heard all kinds of rumors, Um, but there's no shortage of people wanting to bring a team here now that there's an arena. The whole question was who was going to build the arena, who was going to afford, who could afford to build an arena. And the list of that is very short in some of these cities. And that's why teams leave to begin with. Um, you know, Quebec Nordiques, uh, you were right. That, that's one of the, the more egregiously uh, oh, that, unsolved. That, that, that city
0: was in. heartbroken. And when the Avalanche wore those retro jerseys uh, yep. for their uh, winter classic, when they played in Lake Tahoe during the COVID season, and they put Nordiques logos on their on their jerseys, Everybody thought it was so charming. I said, not to the people of Quebec. That's like a punch in the gut. Could you imagine on a retro night, the thunder wearing green and gold of the Seattle Supersonics? Like, No, it they, wouldn't go over. They'd be vilified.
1: vilified. Wouldn't go over very well. Um, the people of Quebec City, I know, are still very interested. They did build an arena. That's the odd thing. Like right now they have an arena that's ready. Videotron Center has been up since uh, 2015. Um, you know, it reminds me of Hamilton. They built Cops Coliseum in the eighties in order to get an NHL team there, and they never brought it. Now, of course, it's it's a bit of an outdated facility, and the same yeah. thing could happen in Quebec if they don't get a team anytime soon. Um, they're,
0: which they're not. I mean, it's, it's they, tough. They, Gary Bettman's pretty much said, you know, the, 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 they're they're not not getting it. I want to uh, transition a, a little bit, yeah. um, and 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 you mentioned, and I would imagine a, a huge chunk of this is is your book uh is it, in your book um the idea that the lo- the lower downtown arena chris yeah hansen. chris hansen he, he was yeah. the savior he was going to save sports and bring basketball back and this was all going to happen and everybody was all excited he was going to build uh right next to the 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 football stadium and the and the and the baseball stadium um it just seemed like nobody was jumping and saying sure let's get a team here uh he was getting approvals for land again, you don't have to reveal too much because I want people to, to buy your book, but tell me a little bit about how that all fell apart.
1: Well, to be honest, the reason it fell apart is because Steve Ballmer left his group. Steve Ballmer was his partner, former CEO of Microsoft.
0: When the and, Donald and, Sterling thing happened, he bought right, the Clippers.
1: Left, left to go buy the uh, the LA Clippers. And that was in May of 2014. And And honestly, after that, that was it for Chris Hansen's group. Uh, the, the NBA had a lot of interest in them when Steve Ballmer was there in the mix for obvious reasons. And uh, and they found a way to get Ballmer off did on their you,
0: own. Did you think then that any shot at an arena was dead? Like, did you think then in 2014, because that's, I remember, that's when I had you on the radio, show. Did you think then that, the Kraken could never exist like what you see now in climate pledge arena would never have taken place.
1: I don't know that I felt that way that very instant. I, I I did think that it took a huge hit. And I remember I did a story on it for the Seattle times saying as much, and I wrote a column about it saying as much that it took a huge hit. Um, the other hit that it took was uh, Chris Hansen ended up getting caught, violating elections law in Sacramento for funding a group that was going to oppose um Uh, he, he was funding a group that was going to a, that was trying to get a petition to oppose the building of a new arena in Sacramento to keep the Kings there. And the NBA looked at that and they viewed it as messing with their money. And once that happened, um, and and I'm trying to remember the exact timing of it. I want to say that was late 2013 when that happened, the NBA downplayed it a lot and his own people, but the more and more I got to talk to people that were close to the situation, the more I, I was told that it was a very big deal and that, um, you know you just don't mess with the money it's, yeah. it's like it's like in gangster you know gangster land too the same thing happens with organized crime you don't mess with the money or they come for you you're dead to them and and i'm told that that's that's part of what happened now all that said had he managed to get an arena built in seattle would anything be different possibly quite possibly the problem with with the hansen arena is that at the time when it first came out in 2012, it was actually a pretty good arena proposal as far as those went. I mean, it was asking for up it to- It was two, what, like, four you know,
0: years after the Sonics had left?
1: Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Four years after, uh, he had a good partner in Steve Ballmer. Uh, he had the Nordstrom Brothers, although their investment, I'm told, wasn't as deep, anywhere close to as deep book. But, but I mean, you know, they're good representatives of the city, uh, the Nordstrom flagship, you know, flagship uh, uh, retail uh, conglomerate. and. So you've got that there. That's a good start. And then, you know, he's asking for bond money, public bond money, but he's promising to pay it back. And that gets that, that satisfies some terms of the local law that we have here, which says if we're going to lend bond money for a stadium or any sports enterprise, we've got to show that it benefits the city. There's got to be a benefit to it. And then we're going to pay that loan back with interest. And so, you know, that wasn't terrible as far as what was going on in in America back then uh, with, with, with some, some all public uh, financing, just fleecing stadiums. I can think of Glendale, Arizona was a great example where the hockey team played at the Jobbing.com Arena, uh, later became Hilo River uh, Arena, sure. where, where sure. They, they were just fleecing the city, uh, the NHL team was. And so, um, you know, this was a relatively good deal by comparison. The problem is as time went on, time went on, it became more clear that, that there were a lot of questions raised about whether Hansen would be able to afford to build this arena by himself, or whether he really did need other investors to come in. And and it it, it sort of, to a lot of people on the outside, it looked a bit like a house of cards. Not saying he didn't have money, he had money, clearly, and some of his investors did. Um, The problem is he needed the guarantee he was going to build the arena before he could go out and look for people who were actually going um, going to bring teams in and was going to pay for an arena. And the problem is everything he was approved on Uh, by the city was conditional upon him getting a team. And the NBA kept saying, we're not giving Hanson a team. We're not getting on a team. A lot of people didn't want to listen to that, but the NBA was crystal clear for year after year after year. And here we are years later, there's an arena here. There's still no team. Uh, Adam Silver was warning me at the time, going back 2014, 15, 16. I I met him on three separate occasions and he kept telling me, we're not giving a team, A, until we get a new CBA, B, until we get a new uh, television deal. There were a lot of things, and and the NBA is still kind of trying to work some things out as as how they're going to split revenues, where things want to go. And here we are years later, and there's still no uh, team yet. So there was no chance of a team a decade ago. And and because of that, Hanson didn't have the wherewithal to go and build an arena on spec without the guarantee of that team. He wasn't ready to do it. There were people urging him to do it. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, was urging him to switch to a hockey team first, but he didn't want hockey. And so his arena never got built.
0: Uh, it's it, it's fascinating. I'm sure, like I said, uh, that that's a huge chunk uh, of your book because it's part of the journey. But, to, uh, to... Yeah, no,
1: it's a major chunk. There's a uh, uh, quite a few chapters devoted to that. I, and I cannot
0: wait to read this thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and look, Hanson's not a villain. He he's a local boy. Look, he wanted to make money. Sure, like every sports owner does. The Liwiki brothers, Tim and Todd, want to make money at their venture. Of course, too. Not, no, and no one
0: begrudges that. that. They're, yeah, they're being and, honest about it. Right,
1: right. I mean, that's what sports it is. It was just short-sighted.
0: Honest. It wasn't dishonest. It was short-sighted.
1: Look, at the time, it was the best deal anybody was offering here in Seattle. And for a while, especially when Steve Ballmer was still in their group, there, there was a chance it was going to get done. I think a lot of that ended the day Ballmer left. And I think as time marched on and, and they refused to switch to a hockey-first dynamic where they would build the arena and bring a hockey team in to start and then try to get an NBA, I, I think when they refused to do that, they, they just they killed their own project. And, and they left the door open for LaWicky to come in, Tim LaWicky, and get the arena built with his partners, and that's what happened here.
0: Again, the link to uh, to get the book uh, is going to be in our show notes. Um, the, uh, the 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 idea is is just uh, remarkable. It's called Rising from the Deep: The Seattle Kraken, a tenacious push for expansion and the Emerald City's sports revival. It's a a fascinating idea. Um, before we, we wrap this uh, this up, uh, I want to go down one particular rabbit hole. Um, and it was something that I, I I took a little issue with the Kraken with. Um, there has been a lot of talk, and Gary Bettman's been on this podcast, uh, and one of the things we talked about was a trend that is starting to permeate in sports media, and that is the ability to not have cable and to still uh, be able to see your local teams. Um you know, the idea for for those of you who are new and haven't listened to the countless episodes of this podcast that we've talked about this. Uh, if you live in Baltimore, it is easier to watch the Detroit Tigers than it is to watch your beloved Orioles, just as a, an example. And that goes through all sports and it's so stupid. And, you know, VPNs are the way, you know, they're, they're dishonest and they violate terms of service. But that's the only way people can can see teams locally. The Kraken came into existence during this cord-cutting rave. Uh, at the time that the Kraken came in, it was about 50-50 of U.S. households that had already gotten rid of cable. The Kraken had their chance to make an app, a subscription app, and allow people to see their games on an iPhone, on a on a. A tablet on a computer on a television however uh, however you want it and they went the traditional way and they went with a regional sports network and they became just like everyone else and i just thought the kraken were the only team because in any other expansion setting in any other sport it was pre this cable this this anti-cable renaissance um i don't know if this is something you covered but To me, it's absolutely idiotic that that franchise made that deal with Root Sports the way they did, because they could have been at the forefront. And the good PR alone that would have gotten could have helped every other market, and it would have made a financial windfall for them. They took the easy way out.
1: What's your thought? Well, my thought is, I wrote a column on this very same topic for the. I city. must I have learned, read it
0: because I. What this stuff no, all I, the time. I did
1: it, and I, I expressed a lot of your sentiments. Uh, maybe not as overtly, but I mean the message was definitely there. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I, I thought it lacked creativity. Um, I thought you know after all the talk, all the planning, all the years they had to plan this thing, I thought they would have done more than just just take the easy money from the RSN, and and that's what they did. Um, Now, that said, what we talked about earlier in this podcast was about sort of the rush to get the team out there, all the obstacles they had to overcome. And so I've come to believe I think this had a lot to do with it. I think they they got so wrapped up in getting the arena ready, getting the team here, getting a team plan, and uh, just finishing the arena was huge. I mean, they weren't sure they were going to have that arena finished for last season, and and that was a problem because there was no other place to play here in Seattle. You had a couple of junior rinks. You do what the Ottawa Senators did back in 1992 and play your games in a 9,000 seat arena, but that wasn't necessarily how you're going to launch a franchise in the year 2022. And and so I think at that point, you know, getting all creative with their uh, regional sports network, they they probably just said, "What's the path of least resistance? Let's go this route and see what happens. See if we can better it." Now that said, you know, and here I am, I'm going to defend Root Sports, which I don't do very often. That the, the problem is, you know, in sports is that yeah I mean we all want that we all want cord cutters to be able to, to have their sports just like they have lower cost tv programming and stuff like that the problem is I think it's a lot of what hit the newspaper business you know we made a mistake in the newspaper business we gave our product away for free for so many years for so
0: many years I know
1: and people just expected to have it for free after a while and then when we started charging even a fraction of what it was worth And the value that it cost it to make a newspaper every day, uh, people didn't want to pay it. So you look at streaming and stuff, you know, you have these really cheap streaming services out there where you could, you know, get all your programming for whatever it was, 20, 30 bucks. That model is not going to work with with sports. And that's because of the salaries that these players are paid. Um, There's no way a team is going to be able to stay in business with the revenues generated off a, a cheap streaming service like that. Unless they can charge a premium to that streaming service for the rights to their games. And that streaming service, the ones that are doing their cheap stuff, they're, they're not going to pay that. And so it's a bit of a catch-22. You know, the only ones that are going to pay the amount that, it's, that teams need to make in order to pay their players the, these bloated salaries, that, and, and I'm not saying bloated, they're getting a good cut of the revenues that all owners are making. But the only way they can keep paying these things is to keep charging a, lot, a, a big amount to, uh, to, to, the, to the services that carry their product. And those services are going to have to start charging 70 dollars, and then all of a sudden, their cheap service model that they've had that blows up. And so, it it, it is a catch twenty two. I know Root Sports did some deals. They did a deal with Fubo uh, TV to try to get that. But Fubo, if you look at their price, it, it it's, it's been right, climbing right. a lot in recent years. It's not it's not a bargain basement thing like it used to be. It, it's people are charging. You want to get sports? It's the last thing out there that's live, and and that people will well, pay for. Well, the local.
0: You know, it's very easy to get out of market. Yeah. That's the idiotic thing. You know, when when ESPN announced the deal with the NHL and I'm a massive NHL fan, it's a great deal. I I, you, I don't I, need, need any act, I, but 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 you live in Seattle and you are probably a fan of either the Canadians or the Maple Leafs. Right. So you, you you have your games. Right. For me to live in New Jersey and be a Devils fan and not be able to use utilize ESPN Plus is idiotic. I mean, it, it it's it's stupid and I mean, I I've I've told this story on the podcast before. I steal a password for to, to get on the MSG app, which is not a, an app that's on Apple TV. So I have to airplay it to my phone. And for six months, it was you had to, if I got a phone call or a weather alert, I got the game knocked off. And what I have said all along is if the, t- you know, these sports leagues know that the key to their survival is young people. And a perfect example is the Mariners. Baseball is a dying sport. And yet now there are people probably into the Mariners because of this recent playoff run, make their games available because when they go to college, they're not getting cable. And if you are a kid who grew up in in Bellevue and you go to the University of Washington, unless the games are accessible, you're not watching.
1: I will. And tell so you- you've
0: lost that fan, and that's that's
1: dumb. Having spoken to people in the industry for years, I can tell you they're not just sleeping at night, counting their money and saying, oh, no, no, that's what what
0: Bettman said. Bettman on this podcast said, we know we're on it. That's all he said. And I take him at his word.
1: But it's not. And as somebody who really wants to see the prices come down, it's not as it's not an easy solution because, you know, player salaries aren't about to go down. And so you have to fund the costs of the operation. Not to mention, in the case of the Kraken, I mean, they're paying for their own arena. Somebody has to pay for that. And, and so that you see high ticket prices here, and, and they got to recoup their costs any way they can. I, I do know that Root Sports has been experimenting for years with different streaming models, trying to find the right combination. Um, but again, you know, you'll look at that. You know, they're owned by uh, AT&T Sports. I mean, that's owned by a major conglomerate that's responsible to shareholders. It, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to to i I can tell you i i don't see the day happening where you're going to be able to get all this through a cheap streaming service you are going to have to pay for in-market games um i i but then again, that's why I'm not running a TV network. Because, no, no, uh, no, but you, you mentioned Hulu. Put
0: me. it on YouTube and put it on Hulu and put it on the other streaming services. Like, no, I mean, they're trying to do that, right?
1: but the prices of those services keep going up every time because they have to pay no, it's, what the teams it, are charging that's and the true. teams have to charge that to pay their players. It's tough. It, it's Believe me, the Kraken know that this is an issue. <laughs> they know. They've heard about they, it they, night they, and day. All the sports
0: teams know. The NBA yeah. knows as well as anybody. You can be an NBA fan And watch highlights on Snapchat and Instagram and never watch a game. And so the NBA brand has grown exponentially over the last few years. And yet Turner's and ESPN's ratings are down because linear television is going down. So, look, everybody knows. And like I said, we can go around in circles. You and I are on the same page.
1: No, we're definitely. On they're, they're
0: losing fans this way, and it's 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 an idiotic thing. And we'll see the, the the fact of the Kraken. I couldn't do a podcast with you about the Kraken and not say you know as well as anybody. The Kraken had their chance to be a, a, an exception, not the rule. And they no, did. they definitely now, did. Definitely the takeaways did. from this episode, and again, I haven't read your book yet. But I cannot wait to read this. Is number one COVID, and number two just getting it in, done on time is the reason the Kraken haven't burst onto the scene. They've kind of eased into the scene. And you see positive things coming
1: forward. Those are two reasons. Uh, Another reason, they didn't do so well in the expansion draft. They probably could have taken some more guaranteed uh, goal scores in there. They They opted, well, uh, 10 years ago would have been great. Okay. (laughs) I loved him in Montreal not so much uh, after he left Nashville. Nashville. The um, was, i going to say though, the, the, the Kraken's problem also, I mean, they, they, they had a strategy of preserving salary cap space and, and, and tree, you know, which is good. I mean, it's a precious commodity in the NHL. It was one of the big advantages they had starting from scratch in a salary cap league that other expansion teams pre Las Vegas did not have. Uh, They they were starting from $0 in a league with a salary cap of 81.5 million. They, They could go to town, build their team any way they wanted. It's a huge advantage. They they opted to conserve the salary cap space. And I think they conserved it a little too much. I think the advanced analytics probably told them they were going to be a little bit better than they were last year. Uh, But it's a razor thin margin. You know, the, the margin between winning and losing isn't all that big. And I think they were a goal short on most nights either way, a goal or two. And you flip that, they could have a much better team. They didn't do enough last year to guarantee that. And a lot of it ended up on the wrong side of the ledger. That's part of it. You can't just, it's not just all about the pandemic. It's, you know, management made some decisions that didn't go all that well. And they had to rectify it this summer. They made some good moves. Uh, they got some goal scoring now. Uh, they need a better year from uh, Philip Grubauer and Nets. And, you know, if they get that, they they could be a closer to 500 team. And maybe they'll stay relevant through, through Valentine's Day. That that's wow. that would be a good Valentine's Day gift to see them stay be, relevant. Last year nice. they were done by American Thanksgiving. They were pretty much done last well, year.
0: And I'll- and I'll say this, uh, you know, except for the two nights they play New Jersey, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, all right. I, I wish oh, them nothing, good. nothing but a success. Uh, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I like that it, it, what you decide what, what you saw was a book in the making. And I think that, you know, a, a combination of your reporting with whatever else you put into this book, it's going to be a fantastic read. Uh, when is it out?
1: It officially releases uh, November 1st uh, by the folks at Triumph Books in Chicago. And uh, they were actually the ones that came up with the idea. I, I was going to do a day by day Kraken book, and they said, "No, we liked what you did on the arenas. So we want to see a book on you that." Got,
0: well, you're reporting on the arena is second to none. I mean,
1: well, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, but they they liked it as well, and they were the ones that came up with that idea. I wish I could take credit. And uh, I said, "Really? You think there's going to be national interest in this?" And they said, "Yes, we do." And so um i did it and uh yeah i gotta say i like the product a lot so um but yeah november 1st is the official release it should start appearing in stores i know i've got my advanced copies here so uh it is showing up places and so uh but november 1st is the uh the uh, advance, the uh, the initial release date, and you can order pre-order right now. Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, all those uh, fine book places.
0: We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes for the pre-order. So, uh, and then if you're listening to this after uh, November first, uh, do me a favor, uh, send me a message on social media. Let me know how the flying car is, and uh, tell me uh, that you got the book because uh, you know who knows when people are listening to this. The Kraken could be 3 times Stanley Cup champions by the time people hear, hear this uh, podcast. Uh, Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times, thank you so much again. and Let's do this again soon.
1: Sounds good, Seth. Appreciate it.
0: Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. You know, as long as the Seattle Kraken are not playing my New Jersey Devils, uh, I wish them nothing but success and it'll be very interesting to see how this arena situation is going to help them get a basketball team. We will talk much, much more about this issue as it gets closer and closer. If you like any of these episodes, make sure you leave a rating and a review on the iTunes page. That's how iTunes markets podcasts. Uh, we will see you next week with another all-new edition of Sports with Friends. See you then.
1: If you want me to stay I'll be around today to be available for you to see I'm about to go stay here. I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile I'm going i gone
2: forget to reach me by phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while
1: when you see me again I hope that you
2: have been the kind of person